0: A certain kind of girl joins pi fatal sorority. A girl who likes to party and likes to get close to her friends. A girl whose extracurricular activities were more daring than most. A girl who could turn her fantasies into reality. Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we're definitely the kind of girls who do a pact to cover up an accidental murder. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, welcome. In real life, the Final Girls put in events and screenings that explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. And on the show, we're currently looking at some of the best teen horror movies ever made to see what they have in common, how well or how badly they've aged and whether it's worth revisiting them now. The answer is usually Yes. Which basically means that I talk to very smart, and very funny women and non-binary folk about horror movies in depth. We're now fully in the 80s, a time when slasher films were being made left, right and center, often following the same formula, often referencing films that came before them that have been massive successes like Halloween, Friday the 13th, Black Christmas. And there's a particular subgenre to this subgenre of horror, which happens in sororities, those weird all-female spaces where girls are left to fend for themselves. The house on sorority row is one of those and probably one of the best one of those sorority horror films. Before we dive into the film this week, a quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the final girls UK for updates, event announcements, and a lot of pictures of final girls we like. We also have a Patreon where you can support our work, gain occasional bonus episodes. Back to today's episode, I'm joined by YouTube video essayist and writer Yara Zay to go deep in on The House and Sorority Row, a perfect and surprisingly surreal entry into this sub-sub genre of sorority horror. If you're new to the show and have never seen this film before, we do kind of spoil the entirety of the film from the very beginning, so if you're precious about that sort of stuff uh, maybe watch out and with all of that said please enjoy our take on the house on sorority row
1: pi theta was different from other sororities i'll get back at you it's the last thing i do
0: because in this sorority nothing is off limits as long as it's fun for the girls so when it came time to say goodbye they decided to make real sure that no one would ever forget the girls in the house on sorority row yara welcome to the podcast how are you I'm doing amazing. How are you? Oh my god, amazing is great. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for making that time and for coming on for the first time. I feel a little bit, not gonna lie, I feel a little bit starstruck because I love oh my god. your video essays <laughs> and I'm really pleased to be actually talking to you.
1: No, I, thank you so much for having me because I, I love this podcast. I recently got into it and any talk that's horror
0: talk, I'm all for. So I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Okay, so that's music to my ears, and and since it's your first time guesting on, on the pod, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, and kind of what you do, and kind of what your relationship with horror is?
1: Yes, okay, so um, I'm Yara Z. am a proud Atlantan, which is irrelevant, but home of Outcast, TLC, and Coca-Cola, which is great, <laughs> and I'm a lover of anything that involves blood, or glitter, or if I'm lucky, both. I have a YouTube channel where I talk about random movies. Um, nothing on there is consistent except for inconsistency. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm talking about horror movies. Other times, Hillary Duff's filmography. You never know what you're going to get. And uh, as for horror, I'm a big cinephile, but horror is easily my favorite genre. It's just so comforting for me. I don't know why, but it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think a lot of horror fans find the genre comforting especially I don't know if you get this this feeling especially when it's the tropes and the rules and sometimes the repetition of certain horror films
1: oh my god yeah
0: you kind of know what's to come so you feel a little bit like okay well even though there's blood and gore and killers and people being chased down dark corridors and stuff involved I kind of know what's gonna happen I can almost count down the beats to when the next kill or the next scare is gonna be yes
1: it's really, it's really, um, it's like a warm blanket. And whenever I used to get super stressed out or worried, mm-hmm. I would immediately go to watch a horror movie and I would feel better.
0: Same. Do you have a like a comfort horror movie?
1: So when I was growing up, my uh, I have a few older brothers and one older sister. And we would always watch slashers together, even when I was way too young to be watching slashers. Mm-hmm. And one of them that we really liked was Scream. So Scream is a go-to. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I just watch Scream. Um, I really, it just has a special place in my heart, Mm -hmm. everything about it.
0: Oh, I love that and actually coincidentally I mean you know we're recording this a few days before it's due to go out and tomorrow we're actually doing Um, myself and two friends of the pod are doing a live podcast about Scream following a, a screening of Scream at a oh, cinema in London goodness.
1: amazing amazing you know it doesn't that uh, it turns twenty five this year? Right, it
0: does. Yeah, I
1: love being the same age as my favorite movies. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, love it. I do not. I do not. <laughs> I would like them to stay like twenty seven forever. <laughs> and, and I'm not even twenty seven, but that's like the age today. I'm in my mind. It's like no, done. There's no more movies being made. No more people being born. Period. No that's more. It. No more fifty or thirty year old anniversaries. No, they stay here. <laughs> Freeze time. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the reason I reached out to you to talk about this movie in particular, about the house on sorority row, is is because you did this amazing takeover of our Instagram where you talked about sorority horror. Yes. So
1: yes, I love sorority horror. I am. I don't think early on in my horror aficionado career, let's call it a career, I guess, um, that I realized sorority horror was a thing. But, you know, you watch Black Christmas, you watch The House in Sorority Horror, you watch The Initiation, and you sort of start to see a theme there. And I found that theme very fascinating. It was like late last year. I was really Mm. getting into it. And so when I was approached to do the takeover for the Instagram account, that was the theme that I knew I wanted Mm. to do. I was really excited about it.
0: And I love these sort of like kismet situations where you pick that theme, and and we had just started doing the teen horror series, and I didn't have anyone to talk about the house on sorority roar, on sorority roar. Sorry, oh my god, why can't I pronounce Ro? Um, it's so tricky. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have anyone to talk about the house on sorority roar. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with it. You know what? I'm just gonna leave this in. It's okay. <laughs> I
1: find it very, I mean, I get it, because I feel like I said, like, er a couple of times when I meant to say (laughs) Row.
0: Listeners, it's going to be a constant, just deal with it. (laughs) Um, So before, I want to ask you about kind of the similarities and the themes that you've seen in sorority horror, but let's get into this film proper. And for anyone who perhaps has not seen it in a while or hasn't seen it before, how would you summarize The House on Sorority Row?
1: Ooh, okay, um, so the seniors of this sorority, Pi Theta, they have graduated and they're moving on to the next phase of their lives. And they want to have this badass going away celebratory bash. And they decide to throw it at their sorority house, even though their house mother, Slater, is not having it. Bad blood has been growing between them and their house mother for a while now. She's very strict and no nonsense. And after she catches um, one of the girls, Vicky, with her boyfriend and crosses a line by slashing her (laughs) waterbed, they decide to um, play a harmless prank on her, but it ends up fatal. So the girls decide to cover up their crime, hide the body, and go along with the party. But what they don't realize is that there's a loose end and they're basically all fucked. That's how I would (laughs) describe it. (laughs) it's a great i mean i i don't know there's just a lot about this movie that is very different approaches Mm -hmm. slashers differently that i i really appreciate but we're gonna get into that i assume
0: so when when did you first watch this film and like how did you feel about it when you first watched it and has that changed for you since you revisited
1: so i think my first viewing was Either senior year of high school or freshman year of college. There's, you know, it could have been the mm-hmm. summer in between. For all I know, somewhere in there, and I don't know if I really appreciated it that much back then. I thought it was good, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rank it high or anything. But then when I revisited it, like two or three years ago, mm-hmm. I thought, "Holy shit, this is amazing! This is a this is a film noir. This mm-hmm. is a vengeance story." This is a crime thriller. And there's so many techniques that are done in the film, like certain pans. There's surreal moments that I find very refreshing.
0: One thing that you just mentioned that I've wanted to pick you up on is that it kind of feels, and I agree with you, it does feel like both very much a slasher of its time, of the early 80s, kind of capitalizing on the popularity of slashers and teen, uh, teen-centric teen horror films at that time, and at the same time feels very weirdly different in kind of yes. small ways. So how do you feel it's different from other slashers?
1: Well, I think it's part of that film noir sensibility because when I was watching it, I mean, yeah, like you said, it definitely felt like a slasher, but there are certain things like, um like even the characters, they have mm-hmm. this culpability, right? So they're not just hapless victims that violence is being thrust upon. Mm-hmm. They play a hand in their fate almost. And then you have the complexity of like, who is actually the villain here?
0: Mm-hmm. Because,
1: like, okay, so Eric, is it too early to get into this?
0: No, get into okay. it. <laughs>
1: okay. So it's funny because... Eric is the one doing everything, taking everyone down. Mm-hmm. But if you were to shift the perspective and look at it from his point of view, this mm-hmm. is like a classic revenge thriller story. This mm-hmm. Eric is getting his old boy on, you know? Mm-hmm. And from their perspective, the girls, it's a slasher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think there's just levels to it that makes it very distinct. And then the film noir aspect, the t- um, the score has these, like, low brassy instrumentals there's a lot of focus on these dark long shadows it feels very reminiscent of like the third man and i think that those influences make it very distinct
0: it does feel like i mean i I really want to talk about the kind of who's the villain uh, thing about this film, because that is the thing that I definitely didn't appreciate about it from the first time I watched it again, one of these kind of eighties horror films that I don't even remember watching, but I definitely know I'd seen before because I remember images from it, but it is this kind of, I can see that it both tries to do the same, take the elements that were working from the very popular, successful slashers of the time, you know, the, the masked killer, the, the, teen girls all kind of huddled together mm-hmm. the the sorority environment the kind of very contained no adults allowed zone really of yeah. that environment and it and at the same time it's got the friday the 13th vibes with the with the menacing older lady the the mother with slater as well and she's positioned as a killer but she isn't really yeah so it's kind of trying to do a lot of things at the same time which makes it quite morally messy as opposed to very straightforward
1: oh my god yes it's like um the biggest thing that i took away Hmm. from especially the sorority the girls Mm -hmm. um was that it's the question of is loyalty more important than morality because they they keep this secret this bond between them because They feel indebted to one another and also because, of course, they don't want to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. But it's also that question is lingering. Should we do the right thing or should we protect one another? And so the whole movie is this moral conundrum Mm -hmm. and
0: I love it. And it's also a moral conundrum in an all female space, mm-hmm. like essentially, aside from the boyfriends or the or the dates or the guys who just turn up at the party and want yeah. to like the the <laughs> the guy who wants to jump in the pool and then just says, "I'm a sea pig that's all yeah he says. That's all my that's. God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is like a screenshot right there, but <laughs> and also me every time i take a bath now i'm just gonna be like (laughs) "Such a great
1: moment because like i was not i was so on edge before he said that then he said it and i was like oh my god (laughs) i just started laughing i had to stop it for a second like my goodness i didn't see that coming
0: (laughs) i love that guy but aside (laughs) from them and like dr beck who we'll talk about later for sure and eric it's very much an all female space both. Yes, morally and and literally. And I wanted to pick you up kind of on this idea of sorority horror or or dorm slashers, I guess, kind of how and you mentioned that you're working on a on a video essay about them kind of what are the the traits of this would you call it a subgenre?
1: I would definitely call it a subgenre. I think it's it's interesting because okay, so um, slight digression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last year, I covered teen girls coming of age and their like burgeoning womanhood being symbolized through physiological metamorphoses. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of like video essays and essays in general and analysis that you could look at as reference points. Mm-hmm. But for a sorority horror, even though it's as I would say, on the same level as the coming-of-age monstrous subgenre, as far as the number of films it contains. Mm-hmm. You can't find that many analysis on it. It's quite sparse. And I think part of the reason is because the subgenre is really varied in its themes. So you have, like, your science fiction horror, like um, Night of the Creeps. And you have the ones that focus on secrecy and question loyalty, like the House in Sorority Row. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like Black Christmas, which I think you could look at in a number of ways, where it's just this intruder sort of invading upon a harmonious female space and what that might represent in, like, womanhood in Mm -hmm. general society and stuff. So the main traits are kind of complicated, Because you can't narrow it down to any single one. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. That's a really good question.
0: I mean, one of the things that you were mentioning that I do find very interesting about them. And I kind of, I was debating when I was putting together the list for this series on teen horror. is like, what makes a teen in horror? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes we do get this kind of in-between phases phases of life and also phases of, of the movies where it's like well when they're in a sorority they're like in 18 19 maybe 20 21 max yeah. and there's not they're still kind of stuck in that in between limbo between teenhood and adulthood but they do have more freedoms now which is a great breeding ground for horror films. Um, oh, it's it's amazing <laughs> when the adults are like just not part of the picture at all, um, and often they're not just not any help; like they're not in this film, but they're also kind of the menacing figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things that I find really, really interesting. And also because sororities and frat houses are very gendered; like frat houses are yeah. for boys, and that's what we've learned from American movies. <laughs>
1: And <laughs> right? sororities oh are Oh my gosh. So it's funny how like – right. The sororities – okay, so sorority horror is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Fraternity horror isn't that much of a thing. Most of the time when you get movies about fraternities, they're comedies. Yes. They're pretty lighthearted mm-hmm. unless it's like an independent film like um, Goat or mm-hmm. Burning Sands which focus on some of the fucked up things that happen in mm-hmm. fraternities. But most of the time for the sororities – you get the horror movies to mm-hmm. explore female bonds and things like that.
0: So how, so let's get into kind of the, the women that make up this particular sorority. Um, how, what did you think of the, of all the different girls? We've got Katie, we've got Vicky, kind of as the, I guess, the de facto leaders and each other's antagonists.
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny because the second time that I watched it, I actually took notes Mm -hmm. and I was, I was interested in the dynamic between Vicky and Katie Mm -hmm. and it's sort of this antithesis, right? And how, even though it's, I don't know, it's, it's different. It's the same as other slashers, but we've already established it's kind of has a thing that makes it very distinctive. It reminds me of the play of opposites of like you have your final girl mm-hmm. and then you have your <laughs> I call I call it the uh the second to last girl <laughs> who is um <laughs> who is uh not like she's the exact opposite of the final girl in mm-hmm. terms of morals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the dynamic there, it was it was interesting. It was like would I kept thinking would the other girls have survived if they had listened to Katie more Mm -hmm. is this sort of, I don't know, representing what a woman should be and what she shouldn't be. Should we not be like Vicky? Should we be more like Katie? Because if we're like Vicky, we're going to get killed. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to like what makes a final girl and how Mm -hmm. I love final girls. I think they're amazing, but you do have to sort of think about how initially when they came to be, it was sort of built up on almost like purity culture. Mm -hmm. So, She has to be a virgin. She can't drink. And, like, um, Katie, I don't think she even acknowledges her date that much. (laughs) Speaking of of her date, oh, my God. I was watching this movie, and I felt so bad for him. I was like, you don't know what you're getting into. You just came here for a blind date. You did not know you were going to get tranquilized by the end of
0: the night. I know bless him and he's so nice he's like oh would you like a drink would you like a dance he's I, trying so hard at one point they're they're slow dancing and Katie is literally looking over her shoulder it's like he could he could just as well be just a plank of wood and he's right. like oh, this is going so well. I'm so glad to have met you. Oh, baby boy, no. It's like,
1: you you just want to tell him, listen, I got got some news for you. What was his name, Peter? (laughs) Yeah. I got some news for you, Peter. You you don't know what you just walked into. You might want to leave this party right
0: now. Yeah, I don't think this is worth it for you, Pete. No.
1: (laughs) But yeah, that was the thing that really stuck out to me as far as like the archetypes that they represent, you Mm -hmm. know? And... Yeah, the, I was really stuck on
0: that. The thing that really struck me was actually how vicious Vicky was. Mm-hmm. So in you mentioned that like they play a prank on Slater and the prank, there's the prank that they kind of all agree on, which was just to leave her her walking cane on the pool and kind of make her get it, which is right. cruel, but kind of harmless. But then Vicky pulls out a gun and right. it's pretty clear that she hasn't told anyone about this. This is the
1: the extreme part of her plan that she decided to keep from everyone else for the element of surprise, except for that, uh, who's the girl who pretended she got shot in the ankle?
0: Oh, yeah, that girl. Oh, I forgot her. I forgot her name.
1: You know what? It's funny. I don't really remember most of their names. <laughs>
0: yeah, same, except same, um, except Vicky and Katie. The rest of them are kind right. of, I can see their outfits in my head, but I cannot remember their names.
1: You know who I liked? I liked the girl who <laughs> was singing right before she, um, you know, the attic fell open mm-hmm. on her.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah. just
1: thought she was so funny for some reason. I haven't, I mean, she didn't say anything that was like a punchline, but I was like laughing. Every time
0: she was on the screen. I really liked the girl who when um, she was wearing very very short shorts and like uh, heels, heeled sandals, when they were doing the prank and Vicky was ordering her around to just run, run, go get something. Yeah. And she just seemed very confused as to what she was. She was like, <laughs> how does one run? I don't what I miss is that? that class. Is
1: that, do you do it with your chest or I? how do you?
0: <laughs> I loved how vicious Vicky was. Like she's basically all of this revenge is because Slater kind of humiliated her in the middle of of having sex with her boyfriend Mm
1: -hmm. i you know it's interesting even though vicky is well i wouldn't i wouldn't call her a villain Mm. but i would call her a villain you know like the the intonation's different an antagonist (laughs) yeah and um i like that about her too it was just this intensity, and I think the reason I enjoyed it was it goes back to these predominantly female spaces, yes. and you look at slashers, especially in this particular era, mm-hmm. and I know, you have this idea that horror takes pleasure in victimizing women, mm-hmm. and so when you have most of your characters as women, you have the responsibility to write them as a little bit more complex and fully formed, mm-hmm. and so... Vicky is just, she's not just a hapless victim. And that's what I liked about her. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of this um, this spite that drives her.
0: Yeah, she's very spiteful. She's clearly conniving. And, yeah. and I got the sense from her that she kind of looks down on her sorority sisters in a way. Mm-hmm. Like this sort of bond that they have, this clique that they have is, is a tension as well. Between the leadership of Vicky, which is more ruthless, and the leadership of Katie, who, mm-hmm. which is more moral and kind of down to earth and sensible. So it really felt like at one point they would have to, the rest of the girls would have to pick sides.
1: Yeah. I mean, eventually. And unfortunately, they didn't really get a shot at that. So.
0: No, no, they really didn't. <laughs> um, Vicky prevailed. but we did kind of also mention at the start that this film really does try to position Slater as the villain and potentially arguably the killer as well, although we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even get kind of this little flashback to a younger Slater to establish her as a, you know, as a, as a mad woman, as a, as a, as a hag in many mm-hmm. ways. And what did you make of her as the quote unquote villain of this? One of them.
1: you know, when I was watching it, I could see that that was the direction they were going in for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I felt, well, not entirely. For the most part, I felt a lot of sympathy towards her. But there is, a, I mean, aspects to her behavior. Like she's she slut shames Vicky. Mm-hmm. She's very uh, conservative. But for the most part, I was just thinking this this guy. I mean, this this guy. <laughs> this woman just wants to be. With her kid. Mm. And she wants these girls out of the house.
0: (laughs) And super secretive as well. Like this. This you know. The forcing of the girls out of the house. um, Without ever explaining why. Just being kind of extremely strict about it. And be like no. You just got to get the fuck out. Before the the 19th of June. I think it is. Mm -hmm. Juneteenth very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) But um. But, you know, we kind of mentioned this at the at the start of our convo, but who do you think is the real villain of the film? And I don't mean the killer, I mean the villain.
1: Right. So, okay. So I really marinated on this for mm-hmm. quite a bit. And I think I'm going to go with Dr. Beck. And I think he's an interesting villain because in comparison with everything going on, it's mm-hmm. pretty easy for him to like fade into the background. But most of what happens is it's kind of spurned on because of his actions years ago, because mm-hmm. he wants to play God. Um, and actually, there's a, a YouTuber, I think it's Cherry Bepsi, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And they posed the question about overlooked horror tropes that mm-hmm. deserve a deeper look. And one of the things they had mentioned was the scientist character who wants to play God and experiment with people's lives and mm-hmm. how... There's quite a few movies where a villain comes to be thanks to lawless scientists. Quite a few zombie apocalypses begin that way. Then you have Frankenstein, of course.
0: The they kind of Dr. start Moreau. this whole,
1: right. Yeah. They start this whole thing, but by the end, there's not much done with them because the bigger villain becomes the thing that they created. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think like Eric murdering people is, <laughs> is weirdly justified um because most of it is vengeance even though he does catch like does he he gets one person who isn't who had nothing to do with anything in the beginning right yeah yeah um but yeah and i, I have to go with dr beck because but I, I don't know there are a lot of villains though which is what makes it such an enthralling viewing experience like what the hell is going on
0: but also <laughs> i i agree with you because he's the only one who's sort of Consciously doing those things, like on yes. purpose, and and there's a particular scene that really kind of I think stood out for me, both visually or narratively, with Doctor Beck, because he, a he's very much kind of ingraining himself in the in the lives of these girls when they come to him for help. Pretending to be a savior, pretending to be like a good man. Like, you know, the figure of authority, you trust a doctor. We're all taught to trust doctors. Right. And he's using that. And and at the same time, you're right. Like it's his experimenting that creates, you know, Eric and that creates the 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 trauma for Slater that arguably right. kind of exacerbates how uptight and judgmental she is. Exactly. It just like carries through from that exactly. incident. And also, like, I don't know if you thought about this, but I kind of saw I saw Eric in a way maybe this is a little bit disparaging for him and I'm sorry, Eric, but <laughs> the whole sort of, like, clown mask the fact that we never see him the fact that he's the son of this you know, maligned woman that's very Friday the 13th um, we're taught, we're kind of mentioned that he's not quote-unquote, like, like normal kids, so he's already positioned as differently able. so by that By that default in horror movies of the time, it's like, well, you know, we should be afraid of him, which is fucked up on another level. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a lot to unpack. yeah. Yeah, it's very
0: fucked up. But we never really get much of Eric, like we never see his face or hear him speak. And he's just kind of this killing machine, but doesn't have even sort of his preferred instrument, like, say, Michael Myers has or something like that. Right. And he never becomes the such um not not to overuse the word iconic, but kind of um the visual killer of this film. He always seemed to me watching the rewatching this movie as kind of more of an instrument that's being played around with different people.
1: Yeah. No, you're exactly right. It's it's interesting that you said um instrument though, because that's what was my um part of my reasoning for seeing Dr. Beck as mm. the villain was that I feel like he's just played so many people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Eric, even though – I I know they don't have, like, um a strong relationship, Eric and Dr. Beck. It's more like experimenter and experimented on. Mm-hmm. But that's what I was thinking, too. It's just Eric kind of – Even though he's – doing these killings and everything, he does fall into the background, sort of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, his actions take a bigger role than actually his his person does, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. But uh, the scene that I think really cemented that for me and that I was res- referencing earlier is the very, like, surreal scene where Dr. Beck ties Katie to uh, an armchair and sedates her and literally puts her in front of the door, like, yeah. Bait.
1: Oh my God. That was, I was not expecting that. (laughs) I was, um, I don't know. It was a strange moment, Mm -hmm. like viewing wise, Mm -hmm. because I was thinking for Katie, get out of there. But I was also thinking, Hey, maybe this is (laughs) going (laughs) to work. But no, the surreal elements were still some of my favorite parts, because Mm -hmm. I think up until that point, there's, no surreal elements. So you would think it would feel misplaced or something. It wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. But it felt like it was supposed to be there. And it also added, I feel like, a lot of tension to the moment. Like I'm pretty sure I was like leaning forward in my seat with with my mouth hanging open. Like, what's going to happen? Is this real? No, it's not real. And (laughs) like all of her sorority sisters saying they were waiting for her Mm
0: -hmm. was a nice
1: touch. Really added to the fear.
0: It was like very... Because it felt like, I think that's for me the thing that really makes this this film different from other slashers of the time is that it kind of leads into this very almost old fashioned visual surrealism in a way. Like the sort that I remember really liking from films of of the 40s and the 50s where it's kind of very within the old Hollywood machinery and the old Hollywood style but at the same time then it goes into this weird other world with whatever tools they have at that time and it still works because it pulls you out of that that expectation of what a slasher is supposed to look like yeah I was like oh wait hold on you're going a little bit like Dolly-esque here, you're doing some weird things, she's ha- hallucinating, there's all these colors playing on her face, and I also love this thing that Katie is desperately, so desperately trying to stay awake, mm-hmm. she's been forcibly sedated by Dr. Beck, and you just know, you know when you... You know the feeling you get sometimes when you're really tired and you like your brain and your body just want to shut down and f- go to sleep because you need rest, but for whatever reason you need to stay awake and stay focused. Yeah. And everything just kind of goes fuzzy. And that's the, I think they got that feeling, that sensation so well in this part of the film, combined with all the like, all your sorority sisters have been murdered and maybe you're about to be murdered. So there's a lot to deal with here for Katie.
1: Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, when she's trying to move and she's sort of dragging mm-hmm. herself, you can feel her weight almost. Like, yes. like her trying to, like struggling to get up the stairs, struggling to make all these moves. It just, I don't know. It was played very well.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's the thing that really kind of, um, because it's it's sort of bloodless as well. Like there's there's quite a bit of gore in this film, but those scenes are... Oh, that,
1: the toilet. I love that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my God. I, I did not expect that the first time I watched it. I was like, holy
0: shit. what did you make so like on that on that um on that topic what did you make of the actual slasher violence of this film
1: you know um so when it first started I was thinking it was going to be like gentle violence Mm -hmm. you know how like some horror movies the violence happens but it doesn't really feel like it's affecting you in any way Mm -hmm. um but this one I thought it was neat even like you know there's (laughs) there's moments where it's definitely an 80s movie like when uh I think the knife goes through one of the girl's hands and you can see that it's like a, a really interestingly made prosthetic hand mm-hmm. that looks very fake. Yeah. And you can tell it's not her real hand, but you're like, oh, well, you know what? You know what? I ate for effort. I like that. <laughs> and, um, but then you have the head in the toilet and I was like, okay, so wait, because that looked really real, mm-hmm. you know? So how do you have that hand? <laughs> And then you have this great looking terrifying head.
0: So I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think it they probably did the same trick as they did in Prom Night. Have you seen that film?
1: Yes, the good one. Not yeah.
0: the not the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the good one, the one with Jamie Lee <laughs> <and> Curtis <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah because it has that thing with the head as well it's kind of, it's quite um, tame in its violence and then suddenly you get like a a very intense beheading scene and then a shot of a very realistic looking head and yes. that was made um, by putting the actor like underneath a, a platform so I think that might be the real actress kind of hiding underneath the the fake toilet because wow. it looks way too real
1: It was fantastic. And I will say like having a moment of gore like that, you really don't need a lot of gore for it to be effective. So you have all this sort of, it sounds really weird to say gentle violence, but like gentle (laughs) violence. And then you have that moment like in your face and then it just racks up the tension and your nervousness even more.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I really think, you know, you should use gore like that. Um, Not should, but if, it's not your forte. Use it sparingly and it becomes really effective like that.
0: It does. I agree with you because you kind of, at this point in the film, you're kind of, you feel comfortable with the levels of violence or explicitness that it's it's going to show you. And like we were talking at the start, as much as I think horror fans, we love the how predictable some genres or subgenres are, when they catch us out by surprise... I think we kind of love it even more because then we're yeah. like, oh, you outsmarted me. Okay. Yes. I see what you're doing. That's there. the fun because
1: it's like it's familiar, but not entirely.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: and like some little, a little bit of spice, a little bit of a kick.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a, of a severed head. Why not? <laughs> yeah.
1: Some garnish, a garnish separate,
0: <laughs> separate Yeah, a little bit of decapitation <laughs> is just like a little bit of parsley on top you of know, anything. Always goes well. Just to
1: mix it up a little bit.
0: <laughs> I have a very bad habit, uh, Yara, of comparing films with food. And sometimes it is not appropriate. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. No, to- <laughs> but I I love it though, because you know there is I mean I have to ask you like later. I'm gonna have to throw movies at you and see what dishes you would describe them as because I think that's fascinating <laughs> that's <laughs> it not- kind of fits like it makes sense I'm so what kind that. of what kind of a dish is the good prom night
0: oh ooh, okay I think the good prom night is like a crispy pork belly oh yeah okay <laughs> And I don't That know makes why, sense. Okay. I don't know why okay, this what is the about, first thing that comes to mind, but it does.
1: <laughs> what about the bad prom, What kind of dish is that?
0: Um, Like boiled tongue without any seasoning. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. You see, you're really good at this. Oh, my God. That's how I would describe it. Oh, my
0: God. I remember reviewing a, a very bad um, romantic period drama a few months ago and for some reason when I was watching it it was making me so angry because it was so insipid and then when I was reviewing it I just called it a salad without any seasoning <laughs> or without any dressing
1: well sometimes that's a I think it makes sense to make that comparison because not everyone is a lover of movies right that's what But like. everyone eats food so if you say this movie is as bad as this dish <laughs> and people are like holy shit that's really bad <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense
0: so how would you describe the house and sorority roar bro <laughs> <laughs>
1: um you mean like uh just like my feelings on it or no it's like a dish oh i'm, I'm not as good as this as you are <laughs> hold on this is my first time let's see let's see uh
0: <laughs> take your time we can come back to it later
1: yeah okay that's a good idea i'm gonna marinate on it
0: <laughs> literally i feel like it might be something marinated
1: it could be <laughs> oh my god what if it's no it can't be that i was just gonna say what if it's just pickles
0: <laughs> well like yeah. sweet and sour pickles yeah okay i mean i will never reject <gasps> like deep fried sweet and sour pickles it couldn't be deep fried i don't see why not I love a deep fried pickle.
1: I've never had a deep fried pickle.
0: I thought it sounded like an abomination when somebody, (laughs) when I first saw it on a menu and then I tried it with a friend on a dare. And then we both became obsessed with deep fried pickles.
1: Oh, see, I love that. (laughs) I love lovely stories like that. When you go into something thinking it's going to be disgusting and then it's great,
0: like with movies, (laughs) with food. I love it. But back to the, the film itself, um, One of the things that we we were kind of chatting before we started recording and throughout this conversation, we've peppered it to kind of older references or, and the director, I love that he spoke about kind of being inspired by Le Diabolique for some of the scenes, the 1955 French film, the Clouseau film. Yeah,
1: I love that film.
0: Love that film. It's (laughs) one of my favorite films. And I was wondering if you if you felt that particular reference or any other kind of um, the horror or older classic film influences on the film.
1: You know, I didn't really pick up on the lady Diab- how do you say it, lady abolic, lady Abolik. I was gonna say les Diablikis. Um I didn't really pick up on that, mm-hmm. but when I was watching it, I did pick up on a lot of noirish elements. Mm-hmm. You know. So I definitely got the 1940s, but except for there was no. I guess could Vicky be a femme fatale?
0: <laughs> she does get punished. Yeah, and she, yeah, I mean, it does have does those like, more elements, and she does like use her sexuality quite a lot.
1: Yeah, hmm. so I saw that quite quite a bit, and then it was only after I learned of the Lady Balique, mm-hmm. um, the homages that I actually went back and I saw it and I thought that's really, I found it to be kind of subtle actually. Mm-hmm. So a, a nice little homage. Cause you don't want an homage that's in your face to the point that you think they're just copying this person, but a nice yeah. little, like we said, a nice little garnish <laughs> of homage.
0: <laughs> a little bit of like, um, chili flakes. Let's call it yeah. another, like, like the chili flakes on the house of sorority. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. And, um, <laughs> I kept thinking, like for the surreal moments, mm-hmm. I got some um, meshes of the afternoon vibes. And oh, that was nice.
0: Yeah. Wow. Really? I don't know why, but uh-huh. when I was
1: watching it, I was just like, "Oh my goodness, this is this is giving me meshes of the afternoon," and I love it.
0: <laughs> so, for anyone listening who hasn't heard of the meshes of the afternoon, it's a, it's a seminal experimental film by Maya Darren and it's absolutely fucking gorgeous and. Mm-hmm. It's it kind of it's almost like a mood film in many ways. Yeah. That's really interesting. I
1: like the um <laughs> you know, it's like the person their face is a mirror. hmm I love that so much. I go I go crazy over that. <laughs> like every time I see it, I'm like, it's it's like when your favorite villain shows up in a movie. I'm like, yeah, there you
0: go. Yeah, I like I like the fact that um, so so the director of the film kind of like I mentioned kind of explicitly talked about Lydia Belik as an influence, and I saw that in the in the pool bits. But you could you could also bring you know Sunset Boulevard into that with the floating right. body and the pool as like the site of this crime from from the very beginning of the film. But it's also this plotting between women. So without kind of going, Lady Abolique has one of the most famous twists in film history. And I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, even though it is a film from 1955.
1: But we we want to encourage people to go see it. Exactly. (laughs) And
0: it's like one of those films that um, if someone hasn't seen it and they get to experience it for the first time. I'm so jealous of you because that is (laughs) a precious twist but there is a lot of like uh plotting between women which obviously mm-hmm. happens a lot in this film as well and and kind of as we as we have been talking about this this kind of moral uncertainty like none of these girls are innocent per se not just in the very slasher rules kind of way where they do drugs they party they have sex and they're just not they're a bit more complicated than that morally speaking and I think that that's one of the things that makes this film stands out, stand out for me.
1: Yeah, especially from the era it came... It was, what, 1983? Yeah. 1980
0: <laughs> 1980 It's always a bit fuzzy. I've got it as 1982. Um, but sometimes it, like, comes out a year later in some places or whatever. So some oh, places right. put it as 1983.
1: Yeah, but especially for that era of movies that mm-hmm. it's coming from, I think it was very... Very much ahead of its time, which, you know, you find with any movie or or anything that's Mm. ahead of its time. People usually don't like it when it comes out, (laughs) and it's not until the time catches up to it that it's like, oh, this is actually pretty awesome. Mm. And I'm pretty sure The House and Sorority Road did, like, did anyone – not anyone. Were critics kind to this movie when it first appeared?
0: Well, I always I always take that with a pinch of salt mm-hmm. because I think that a critics traditionally have never been kind to horror films. Right. No, no. There's and critics. Hate them. Yeah, and critics <laughs> traditionally are mostly older men and they're never kind to anything that centers women. <laughs> At all. Ever. So, like, if you have a combination of those two things, it's never gonna be great, is it? But, um, yeah, I think they were dismissive of it as just another run-of-the-mill slasher that was capitalizing the success of Halloween and Friday the 13th. and I mean, this
1: is how you know people don't watch stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just say, oh, it's, it's like this, and that's why it's not good. But this movie's really cool. I would rank it, like, I have... Um, my favorite like sorority horror films mm. of course because i'm basic i guess black christmas is at the top Obst- but then right under it is the house on sorority row
0: wow yeah super hot <laughs> yeah. and it definitely had like a it's legacy like people have been really big fans um and i think you know not to not that he is the end all be all of Cinephilia, but he has Tarantino also really championed this film um, in the 90s and mm. subsequently, like magazines have named it, you know, one of the best slasher films ever made and stuff. But in wider core culture, I don't get the sense that that many people talk about this film that much. And it's a shame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it, I mean, it definitely has gotten more love mm. that it deserves over the years but i think there's always room for more people to be introduced to it and give it a shot because it really is something it's just it's a great slasher but then all those other elements that come in the surrealism the neo not neo noir the film noir comes in mm-hmm. and uh it just makes it like a standalone mm-hmm. sort of slasher
0: and and kind of speaking of its legacy where do you see the influence of this film on on subsequent slasher films that came out later?
1: You know, I'm sure there are many, but for some, for whatever reason, as I was watching it, I just kept thinking, this this is reminding me of I Know What You Did Last Summer.
0: Literally the plot of it.
1: <laughs> so, um, and I know that, I Know What You Did Last Summer, I think it's based on a book by Lois Duncan. Um. So it doesn't fully count, but it's just – it's so similar. You have these rowdy teenagers being kind of thoughtless and reckless, getting someone killed, and their fear and loyalty to each other, making them choose to hide the mess they've made, and then the secret coming back to haunt them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's more, but that was the main one that when I was watching, I was like, wow, this is just I know what you did last summer in a sorority, except it's not last summer because everything happens that same night.
0: hmm yeah, it's pretty It's pretty much that. <laughs> I was also thinking of other sort of, they're not strictly sorority-based horror films, but they're sort of university or college-based horror films, like Scream 2 comes to mind. You um, know,
1: which- Scream 2 was shot, well, there, some of the college scenes were shot in Atlanta. I'm just really proud of that, so I just felt like sharing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Agnes Scott College.
0: <laughs> Amazing fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> and um I was also thinking of urban legend like along the lines of this renaissance or second wave of slasher films in the 90s. A lot of them were set in either in high schools or in colleges or you know they start off in a high school and then they they grow up a little bit and they move to they move away to college and then shit starts getting really dark and mm-hmm. and people start dying. So I think, you know, I think it probably influenced directors, filmmakers, screenwriters more than audiences. Um, and we can see traces of that, but nothing kind of specifically replicates it in the same direct right. way. It's
1: more like this setting is cool and mm. it's um, it has a lot of potential. Yeah. So let's do it here. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I- you said urban legend and I was thinking about... um joshua jackson's yes. death scene in that movie and how i think the dawson's creek theme song plays for a second on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant okay
0: oh my god i so i'm covering that on the season as well i'm so looking forward to rewatching that film i haven't seen it in years
1: it's so warm <laughs> <laughs> is it gentle violence i I can't say that I remember a lot of the violence, mm-hmm. but I just, when I watch it, I just feel like I'm a kid again, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> it does, because th- these were the films that I was like, that I would watch as a teenager. And and obviously, you know, when you're a teenager and you're watching these supposedly teen horror films, all the teenagers look 27, 30 years old. And you're like, yeah. oh, is that what I'm supposed to look like? <laughs>
1: I don't It's funny this. I think my phase because even though I was watching movies I had no business watching at a mm-hmm. young age, I I think I knew the actors were adults. Mm-hmm. so I often compared myself to like Disney stars and Nickelodeon stars who were the same age as me and I would get really mad if they didn't have acne or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was like what are you doing that I'm not doing? They're the same age as me! I was very <laughs> resentful.
0: <laughs> you see I had like the, the polar opposites of the Olsen twins who were kind of roughly roughly my age but they were you know Always very rich, traveling all around the world. Yeah. Or going on Vespas with cute Italian boys or stuff like that. <laughs> or every single film they, they were in a different country. And that was the whole shtick of their cinematic, expanded cinematic you Olsen universe. In
1: Rome, Passport to Paris. Exactly.
0: <laughs> all of those. I watched all of them. And then the other kind of teenagers were the the 90s slasher teenagers and they were all adults who were really cool and dealing with you know murderers and stuff and i was like well yeah. i don't really fit into either one of these um aesthetics like, oh i guess i'm
1: normal <laughs> my
0: god i like it unsubscribe from being normal <laughs> <laughs> but um we're, we're not going to talk about the the remake that came out in 2009 of this film uh in much detail but very briefly, kind of, have you seen it? What did you think of it?
1: I have seen the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've seen part of it. I struggled to finish it. I actually think I still have 30 minutes left.
0: Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> that is that so is all we need to know.
1: <laughs> there were, But there were aspects to it in the beginning that I mm-hmm. kind of liked. Um, like the party in the beginning is this really over-the-top Gatsby college party. And sometimes I like things that are over the top, and that was one of those things. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, despite the great talent, like you got Jamie Chung, Matt mm-hmm. O'Leary, the late and great Carrie Fisher. But despite the talent, it just didn't really grab me. Um, but I have to finish it and get back to you on that.
0: <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned the the party scene, because we haven't really talked much about the party in this film. But I kind of love it because it looks so fucking lame. It's just a yes. lot of people shuffling around awkwardly, kind of trying to it not is hold so each other. Great. <laughs> on the
1: hips. Oh my God. So I find that parties and movies, they're one of two extremes. It's either the best party that you wish you were invited to, or it's like, what is this? Is this even a party? What are we doing? And then you have this one where it's the most realistic party I've ever seen, where it's kind of awkward. No one's really doing anything. Um, the band is there
0: terrible (laughs) the guy with the peroxide blonde mullet oh my god oh
1: my his flip-flopping hair is a character of its own let me tell you (laughs) he's just rocking that thing and i could not look away
0: love them um
1: i also love in the party scene you know where Mm -hmm. there's that moment where all the girls they're in different parts of the room and they're looking at each other and the cameras panning over and stopping on one panning over and stopping i really like that it reminded me of like a heist
0: movie mm. almost and it's um we also kind of i i forgot to mention it in, in in our conversation but one of the things that i i think is my favorite thing about this film is the um the title credits where we just get, oh, these yes, beautiful, soft focus, kind of close shots, close up shots of these hyper feminine things, like activities. Dude.
1: Dude, that's exactly what I wrote down like in my notes. Is <laughs> like, there's this focus in the beginning of the title cards on all these mm. things that are feminine. You know, someone putting on makeup, shaving her legs, someone blow-drying yes. their hair. I really loved that so
0: much. I love that because it instantly puts us in, you know, we were talking before about like sororities being these you know closed off feminine spaces and this really sets us in that in that world it's like yes. this is about painting your toenails it's about drying your hair it's about primping your hair it's about putting on makeup putting on lipstick like all these hyper hyper feminine getting ready like putting on your war makeup basically you're like war paint on
1: man i loved it cuz like the first time i saw that i really i didn't know what to expect like for older movies i don't think anyone says i'm going to watch a trailer for this you know you just sort of <laughs> you go into it and when i saw that i was like okay i'm meant for something good let me get my popcorn ready
0: <laughs> um yara thank you so much is there before we wrap up is there anything that you wanted to mention about the house on sorority row that we haven't uh, managed to touch on
1: Honestly, the only thing I want to say is I think everyone should watch it. It's a really fantastic slasher movie. Very uh, distinctive. Very smart. I think smarter than it gets credit for. Yes. And I would recommend that, you know, if you have finished this episode without having seen the movie, that you get right on that because it's awesome.
0: Now what? If – anyone's finished this episode and they haven't seen this movie I always respect those choices because I do this a lot (laughs) where I listen to long podcast episodes about movies that I haven't seen in a long time or at all and they convince me if they're good episodes to to watch the movie with with kind of a lot of ideas in mind
1: yeah (laughs) I I love that I mean that's why I watch video essays I'm just like convince me to watch this show or convince me to avoid this show
0: (laughs) exactly so Yara, thank you so much for your time and for your insight on, on this film and so much more. And for anyone who wants to look up more of your work, where can people find you online?
1: Um, I'm on YouTube. I'm occasionally on Instagram. And that's about it. Yara's aid. <laughs> <laughs> I um, live under a rock most days.
0: <laughs> well, we all do don't feel self-conscious about that (laughs) i will link to your youtube channel in the description and when can we look out for your sorority horror essay
1: you know i would love to give you um like an exact date but unfortunately i'm not that organized so i'm just gonna say this month it'll definitely be (laughs) this lovely halloween season
0: Whenever it's out, I will I will link it in the description as well. So when pe- whenever people come to this episode, they can find it there as well.
1: Thank you. You're the best. Thank you so. Thank much. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I want to come back one of these days. Please so, do. horror movie. <laughs>